Okay, good morning everybody. Hymn 351, 351. We're singing this in church today too. 351, 1, 3, and 5. Creator of the stars of night, thy people's everlasting light. O Christ, Redeemer, save us all, and hear thy servants when they call. Thou camest the bridegroom of the bride, as true the world to eventide, the spotless victim all divine, proceeding from a virgin shrine. O thou whose coming is with dread to judge the living and the dead, Preserve us from the ancient foe, while still we dwell on earth below. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy upon us sinners. Amen. Again we pray. O God, who looked on us when we had fallen down into death, and resolved to redeem us by the advent of your only begotten Son, grant, we beg you, that those who confess his glorious incarnation may also be admitted to the fellowship of their Redeemer. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Okay, let's take a look at the congregation at prayer. The verse of the week is Matthew 7, 8. Let's speak this together. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. A little bit of hair splitting here. Everyone does not equal anyone. What is meant? when Jesus says, everyone who asks, or, yes, asks, or a, maybe even a better way to ask the question is, who are those who ask? Believers, believers yes. Can, uh, believers in what? Jesus. Pardon me? Okay. Uh, I would tell you The promises. Everyone who believes in the promises. And whose promises are they? Well, they are Christ's promises. So you can't believe in Christ's promises and not be a follower of Christ. You're not going to call upon him if you don't believe in him. You're not going to call upon him if you don't love him. So the point is not to say anybody who asks anything from God is going to get exactly what they ask. 
That's not the point of what Jesus is saying. Everyone who calls out in faith, that is everyone who believes the promises and then who asks, because you're asking on the basis of the promises that God has made, will receive. Now here are some other things. Who asks for, receives, what? What is it that you would ask for? What is it that you would receive? Grace and mercy. Now you start to see that this is a lot different than just saying, hey, you know, God's up in the sky, and if you ask him for something, he's going to give it to you. I remember there was a guy that I grew up in the same town that I did, and I remember being in college, and he posted something on Facebook you know, the wisdom that a college student posts to Facebook, it's stunning. <laughs> and he said, he, uh, what he posted was to his religious views on Facebook. And he, he, as his religious views, he put, there is no fairy in the sky that gives you what you ask for. And I remember that, seeing that, and thinking to myself, amen, I don't believe that either. I mean, it's supposed to be a dig at Christians. Oh, you think there's a big fairy in the sky, and you pray to him, and he gives you what you want. But that's not what Christians believe. So, who asks, receives, but what are you asking for? Grace and mercy. And if you're asking for grace and mercy, in what are you asking? Faith. Everyone who seeks finds. What is it that you're seeking and that you will find? Pardon me? No. This isn't copy and paste. <laughs> I w yeah, I'm not going to ask the question multiple times and have it all be the same answer. I'm not that cruel. Who are you seeking? Let's ask it that way. Well, you can say it this way. You're seeking the good but what is the good? The good is just God. So it's not really a what, but it's a who. He who seeks finds. Well, what are you looking for? Now you can, I mean, you can answer that question in so many ways. Look at the world. What's the world looking for? I mentioned it a little bit in the sermon last week. Everybody wants meaning, especially in, in, in Advent and Christmas. Well, why bother celebrating Christmas if you're not a Christian? Why celebrate the Christ Mass if you don't believe in the Christ and you don't go to Mass? You're like, what's the point of it? Well, because I want to be together with family, or I, or I want to eat the treats that my grandma used to make, or I want to open presents, or, or I want to give presents. You're, you're substituting meaning. Watch That's right, I want to watch Hallmark movies. Okay. But you, you, you are substituting a meaning. The whole, you know, the whole Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and the Christmas specials that come up on TV. It's, and you look forward to that. Oh, I can't wait to watch Rudolph. But it's a substituted meaning. Because you have to create an artificial meaning because you're not going to take what the real thing is. So I have to hunt for an artificial meaning. But everybody wants some kind of meaning. Well, where do you find meaning? You find meaning in God. Everybody wants to find love. Where do you find love? 
Well, God, where do you find what is true and what is good and what is noble and what is virtuous and what is beautiful? Only in God. So if you're going to seek those things, then you will find them, but you will find them in the person of God. And whoever knocks, excuse me, to him who knocks, it will be opened. What are you knocking on and what will be opened? All right, smart Alec. He said, he said, door. <laughs> yes, you're not wrong. Who is the door? Jesus. Jesus is the door. And therefore, if you think about Jesus being the door, what's he opening? No, 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 no. Something. The kingdom of God. Knock and it will be opened, the kingdom of God. Now who's going to come knocking on the door of the kingdom of God? Again, this just reinforces this. Is any old, any old Joe blow off the street going to go, Hey, look, it's the kingdom of God. Hey, he said if I knock, it's going to open. No, nobody cares. But him who believes, who has faith, who trusts in the Lord. Okay? Uh, there's another thing here. My goodness. Uh, seeks finds. You are called to seek God. This harkens back to the prophet Amos, because what does Amos say? Amos says, Seek me and live. And he says, hey, if you're going to seek God, you'll find him. God's not going to hide from you to where you have to go and play hide and seek from. Hey, am I getting hot? Am I cold? Where are you? Marco, where is God? I don't know. He's hiding. No, God doesn't play that game. God tells you where he's going to be, and he tells you that when you go to find him, you will. Now, uh, we've got to stop that here. So let's speak this again. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. It will be opened. Uh, okay, let's look at the catechism. What is the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer? What does this mean? God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not steep us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. All right. God tempts no one. This, there is a sweet irony in this because Luther had a notorious degree of hatred for the epistle of St. James, that, which he called an epistle of straw, and which he was very vocal about saying he thought should be removed from the Bible because he didn't think it belonged there. 
And the irony is, right here, God tempts no one. That is a direct quote from the epistle of St. James. Because James talks about God not tempting anybody and that temptation happens a different way. God is the one who will lead you into righteousness, not into temptation. So we pray in this petition then when we say, hey Lord, lead us and don't lead us into temptation. It, not as if we're afraid that he's going to, but that we are reinforcing what he has excuse me, already told us about himself. I will lead you into, say, pleasant pastures. Huh? He know, we know which way he's going to lead us, so we tell him, hey, lead us this way. You said you would lead us this way, so do it. That God would guard and keep us. Well, what article of the creed is that? Lang think about that language, that he would guard and keep, or defend and preserve. Where does that language come from? Which article? The first article of the creed, correct. So there it is. You're already calling upon God in this petition according to his nature and according to his promises so that we would not be deceived or misled. So we don't get distracted. So we don't uh, get lured off the way. We're on the way, but sometimes we need the Lord to put some blinders on us or give us a tap or two, or sometimes we need him to march off the trail to find us, to pick us back up, to put us on the trail, give us a little pat, and get us on our way. And that's what we pray in this petition. And that when we start to look at something that might allure us, that he would knock some sense into us, oh yes, that's right, I'm not supposed to go that way that we can keep walking the good way. Uh, and that we may overcome all of these things and win the victory in whom? Jesus Christ. That's right, in Jesus Christ. Okay. Benefits of being the pastor's daughter. Questions about the verse or the catechism? All right, kids, you can go. And also, Jason. Um, I, I have two additional things that I want to bring up here as it pertains to uh, as it pertains to the sixth petition and the verse for the week. We want to be led by God. So we do what Amos says, which is, seek me and live. And we know that we will live because he has promised it there and because he says he's not going to hide from us. But then the question becomes this. Where do we seek God? Because it's really easy to fall into this false understanding of where or how we seek the Lord. So if we say, you know, what are some of the attributes of God? What would we say about God? He's what? Okay, he is loving. 
What else? Almighty. Almighty, yeah. Or we would say all-powerful. Yeah, there's omnipotent. That's all-powerful. What's another thing? Omniscient. What does it mean that he is omniscient? He knows all. There's another omni. Omnipresent, which means what? He, yeah, he is present everywhere. That's the big one. Well, if God is present everywhere, then how do I seek God? Well, I go outside and do a little rolling and smoking. Have myself a good old backyard mystical experience. And I'll find God. Or I'll go for a hike in the mountains so that I can encounter God. Because I, when I go for my hike, I'm really going to be looking for God. And he did tell me that if I look for him, I will find him. And then what happens when you don't have the mystical experience? Yeah, well, I guess God really isn't here. Or, or if God is there, I guess he's lying. And if he's lying, then there's no reason that anybody should follow him or listen to him at all because he's not trustworthy. If he lies on even one point, then you can completely disregard him because nothing, everything else that he says is then suspect. So it has to mean something else that we seek God and are guaranteed to find him. And of course, it does. And of course, the answer, well, where do I go to seek you, Lord? <laughs> he gives it to us. Well, where do you go to seek me? Well, let's think about it for a minute. It might be somewhere in the Ten Commandments. In the what? In the Ten Commandments. Well, remember the Sabbath day, which is not about God, it's about who? You. Because God wants a relationship with you. He says, hey, remember the Sabbath day, don't forget about the Sabbath day, because church is home, remember that? Church is home. Jesus is, is like your anxious mother. Dinner's on the table, be home by six. I don't want you out late tonight, school night, you got stuff to do. Don't forget dinner, don't forget dinner. And then you forget. And is he offended because you forgot? No. Well, I, oh, I how could you forget? Oh. He's upset because he loves you so much and he knows that this would have been a really good supper for you and you needed it and you probably needed an early bedtime too, but you didn't listen. Because you don't know what's good for you, but he does. Mom always knows what's good for you. Okay, Mother Church tells you, now this is how it's going to be. And you say, oh, okay, yes, Mom. Or you say, eh, to hell with Mom. I'm a, I'm a smart 16-year-old. I know what's what. I can figure it out, and I've got a driver's license. Nothing can stop me. I'm going to stay out late if I want. And then you run into trouble, because guess what? When you're staying out late and you're not coming home, you're not going to find Jesus. Because when you come here home to church, who else lives here? Jesus. Jesus lives here. 
The sanctuary is God's house. Why do we behave differently in the sanctuary than we do outside? Because you're in a different world. The moment you cross the threshold into the sanctuary, you're in a different world now. You're in a different world governed by different rules, different laws, requires different behavior. Why do we reverence when we enter the chancel or cross the face of the altar? Because the sanctuary is Jesus' house, but the chancel is Jesus' bedroom. You don't come to visit Jesus without saying hello and goodbye. You don't just walk in like you own the place, because guess what? You don't. Now, you might pay the electrical bills, but you don't own the place. It's a holy place. It's holy ground. It's a different place. So that's one of the first things to understand. He says, seek me. But implied when he says, seek me, is in the places where I told you that I will be. Come and find me. Here's where I'll be. Meet me there. I'll be there on the Sabbath. And I'll have a nice home-cooked meal for you. You're not going to want to miss it. I put a lot of love into it. And then within the context of church as home, the sanctuary as the house of God, then you also have to think of where in the church do I encounter Jesus? Where do I find him? There are at least three right answers, but dare I say, maybe even mm, up to seven. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. Yeah, somebody got the joke. Okay, all right, so there's at least three. He's promised. I had a comment too, but I... <laughs> what was your comment? <laughs> I was going to say, how many the Pope say there were? Well, the Pope says there are seven. Yeah. The Lutherans, Lutherans don't say there's a number. We just say there's at least three. <laughs> That's in the Confessions. That's not original. So, pardon me? Well, yeah, Christ is in the liturgy, sure. But the liturgy, that's the setting for the sacraments. So you, you find Jesus in baptism. Hey, if I really want Jesus, where do I go? I go to my baptism, which is something that you can return to again and again and again because it's not something that happened to take place in the past. It's something that is ongoing. I am baptized, not I was baptized. And the font in the sanctuary reminds you that. You go by the water. Make, dip your fingers in, make the sign of the cross, because I am baptized. There's Jesus. Jesus is in the baptismal water that's branded into my flesh, sealed in. But I also find Jesus where? At the altar. Where does God live in the Old Testament? In the tabernacle. Where in the tabernacle? Where does he sit? The ark, the mercy seat. He sits on the Ark of the Covenant. And how did you know that God was there? You touched it, you died. Well, yes. <laughs> but, you know, not... Uh, in case you didn't want to touch it to find out, how else would you know that God was there, Sam? Okay, he said so, sure. But is it enough that he says so? Maybe it should be because his word is good, but it never really is for us, is it? It's the same deal where, is God's spirit? Sure. I mean, how else can God be omnipresent? But what good is that for you? 
I mean, so he's with you all the time, okay, but, but is he with me for me all the time? If I go like this, am I grabbing God? And then if, well, I'm alone, let me hold God's hand. There, now I feel better, I'm holding God's hand. And everyone else says, you're crazy, you're holding a fistful of air. So how else do I know? In the Old Testament, if I walk into the tabernacle, how else do I know that God is there? How do I know he's sitting on the altar? Hint, David gets, or Jesus gets in trouble and talks about David eating the showbread. Oh, wait a minute, you mean there's bread in there? Oh, there's bread in there. And what's the bread for? To show you that God is there. The showbread. How do you know God's there? Because God's bread is there. It's not for God to eat. It's to show you that he's there. And guess what? Now you come here and there's showbread on the altar too. Hey, who is it? And that's Jesus. Guess what? You get to eat that. So there you get to encounter Jesus. You want to be like Thomas? You want to touch Jesus? You want to put your hands into his side? Like the Caravaggio painting? Thomas like that with Jesus grabbing his wrist and putting it inside his side. You wanted it, Thomas? Here you go. You want to be like that? Come up to the altar. That's where you get it. Where else? Where else do you find Jesus? Pardon me? Ooh, that's good. I didn't think, I didn't, I was not expecting that one. Yes, you should be able to look in your brothers and sisters and see Christ in, in them by how they behave to you and to their neighbor. Yes, so then you find Christ in his body, which of course, if it's his body, you would expect him to be there, wouldn't you? Where else? Okay, in Holy Scripture, yes, because the Word is not a thing, it's a person. Where the Word is, there Jesus is. So if I really want to know, hey, Jesus, what's your opinion about X, Y, and Z? I can just ask him, and guess what? He'll tell you. Where else? There's one really, really big one. I... Absolution. When you confess your sins and then some hand touches you and makes the sign of the cross on you and says, I forgive you, it's not me, it's Jesus. How do you know it's Jesus? Because I go to great lengths to hide the fact that I'm the one who's over there. I don't dress like this way because it looks good. I mean, maybe it does, but... <laughs> okay. So, you go because that's where Jesus is. Jesus speaks a comforting word to you. But all of that happens in Jesus' house. You don't come to Jesus' house, you don't find Jesus. The idea that I'm going to be just me, good old me, independent me, me and Jesus walking down the road, me and Jesus just with my Bible and my pickup truck, I don't need anything else, just me and Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's so wrong. That's not how you find Jesus. Jesus says it himself. That's not how this works. Faith is a corporate thing. It's all together. So you find Jesus in Jesus' house with Jesus' people, with Jesus' gift. Because that's where he tells you, hey, I'm going to be here. You come here, you'll find me. He doesn't say, if you want to find me in the woods, you'll find me. 
Maybe you do go out into the woods. Some of you maybe know that I, I think insects are fascinating. I have a small, modest collection of my own. I like beetles. They're my favorites. And people always ask why, but they always, of course, say it like this, why? <laughs> because they're so small and so complex. Take the time sometime to, to look at an insect. How many moving parts they have. How their joints interlock and move. How they're designed in just the right way to be able to function in the setting that they're placed in. And look at how beautiful some of them are. Ignore the fact that they have many legs and crawl around your house for a minute. You know. Just take them as they are. The, uh, a real ladybug, none of this, these Japanese things, those Asian lady with the, the bile-colored ones, not those. The bile-colored ones who look like their spots were put on by a drunk elf. There's <laughs> some spots for you. No, I'm talking about a real ladybug. That beautiful apple red with perfectly placed symmetrical spots and a little bit of white. It's like a little work of art. And of course, people can say this about all kinds of other things. Why do some people love flowers? Well, for the same reason, because they see everything in nature is so complex. Evolution used to be a good idea until we realized how complex the smallest unit was. Then it doesn't make any sense, because if we're going from simple to complex, well, uh, all of a sudden stuff doesn't really make sense anymore. Okay? So you look out in nature, yeah, maybe you'll find evidence of God in nature. Maybe you'll find the fingerprint when I pull out the box of insects to look at them or to reorganize them compulsively, which of course I would never do. You see the fingerprint of the Creator in everything that He has made. He's left behind a little bit. But you're not going to find him. And when you look and you see the evidence for him, when you see the, like the, the breadcrumb trail he has left behind, you don't pick up a breadcrumb and say, I have found the Lord. You follow it where it leads. And where will it always lead you? It will always lead you to the foot of the cross. And where do you go if you want to sit at the foot of the cross? His house. The altar. That's the foot of the cross. And if you want to be literal about it, guess what? It, it is literally at the foot of the cross. Because when you go up there, you look, and there he is. And having the cross tilted slightly down like that is so great because he's right there looking right at you, and he is right over the altar too. You want to find him? That's where he is. So he guarantees you, hey, you want to seek me? And he does say, seek me and live. That's the promise. You seek me, you'll live. And you say, well, where do we go? I'll tell you where to go. You go there, and I will be there. Well, what if I go here? Well, I'm, I've not told you that I'm going to be there. But what if I do this? Well, I've not told you that I'm going to be there. This is where I've told you to be. So uh, 
the, you know, people will say, well, God's everywhere, right? So, so that's great. I can have an encounter with God everywhere. And I say, water's everywhere too, but you don't walk around with your mouth open if you want to drink. You have to go someplace. Yeah, maybe God is around you, but he's not, he hasn't promised that you're going to have a great uh, encounter with him everywhere, anywhere, because he's all around. He has promised that you will have an encounter with him in very specific locations, in very specific ways, and has promised that every time you go there to seek him, you will find him, which is a, uh, one reason why pastors, according, well, I mean, this is just, it should be common sense, history of, of the teaching and practice in the church, and of course the Lutheran confessions, which are aligned with that, but a, a pastor is obligated, obligated to administer the sacraments anytime one of his parishioners asks. So if you call me and say, I would like communion, I'm having a bad week. Can I come by church and can I have some, some communion? I, I can't wait until Sunday. I need the Eucharist. I don't get to tell you, oh, it's a pretty busy week, maybe next week. I have to say yes. If you come and you say, I'm particularly burdened by sins and I really need to confess and to be absolved, I don't get to say, mm, no. I have to say yes. Come on over. Your time is, or my time is yours. Because you are seeking for the Lord in the places where he has said that he will be found and you will find him. And part of my job is to make sure you do. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. When he says, seek and you will find, is there a statute of limitations on that? Is there a time limit? Pardon me? Yes. There is a time limit. The time limit is when Jesus comes again, you don't get to say, oh, there you are. I'm going to seek you now. Because if that happens, what does he say? I never knew you. You didn't come to find me. You're not part of my flock. You're not one of my sheep. I don't know you. You don't get to come. Okay. So Proverbs, I think that this is right, if I can read my notes. Yeah, okay, Proverbs. This is the first chapter of Proverbs. Oh, this is the call of wisdom. And the personification of wisdom is, of course, who? Who is wisdom? Jesus. Yeah, think about the O antiphons for Advent. The last, what is it, 10? This is, I'm, this is really bad to admit this. I don't remember off the top of my head how many of those antiphons there are, but they're, they're, they're the last, it's the last time of Advent, so like the last 10 days, I think. It's more than a week. Starts on the 17th. Starts on the 17th? Yeah, okay. So, oh, I guess that is only seven. Well, anyway, you can look them up. They're in the hymnal. Go to, go to um, what, 357. That's O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And all of the O antiphons are in there. But the O antiphons are like O wisdom. That's one of them. O day spring. 
You know all of those. Okay, so, oh, wisdom, though. We address Christ as wisdom. If you want to be wise, where does it begin, according to the Proverbs? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that doesn't mean fear. <laughs> fear is reverential respect. That's, there's a German word for it. I wrote a paper about this at the seminary and had to do a bunch of German work. And there's a big, big, long German word. You know how German, they, they'd get, you get those compound words. Uh, there's a big, long compound word, and that's the one that Luther uses the most commonly when he uses the word, when it's translated as fear, it's this word that Luther is using, which is most literally translated as reverential respect or, or uh, adoring respect, devoted respect. So it would be like, I don't know, your boss. I'm not afraid of my boss, but I fear my boss, as in I acknowledge his authority I'm not buddy-buddy with him because there is a, a difference in, in the hierarchy. There's a difference of authority. I give him reverential respect. Okay. So here's Proverbs 1. Because I have called you and you refused. Whoops. I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. I gave you advice, you didn't listen. I told you what was right and you did what was wrong. And when I told you that I didn't approve of what you were doing, you laughed in my face and kept doing it. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke, Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. That's what hell is, getting your own way forever. Sounds pretty good, but it isn't. Do you remember that Twilight Zone episode? Yeah, the criminal, he's driving. I think, I think he's in his, in his car driving away from the robbery, and he crashes his car, and he wakes up. And uh, there's this fellow there who's sort of helping him out, and he... He's in this great room and he's comfortable and he goes to the casino and every time he goes, he wins and then he goes and he wants to get a girl and any girl he wants will, will come with him and he thinks it's really great and then all of a sudden he doesn't like it anymore because he wants to lose because when all that you can ever do is win, then winning is no fun. When you can always get any girl you want, then girls aren't fun. And anything that he wants, he gets everything that he wants and he realizes that it's not good. It's not fun. And he says something to the, little, to, to, the, to the, you know, the nicely dressed manicured man that follows him around. He says, I never thought heaven would be like this. And the man just says, oh, my dear boy, whatever made you think you were in heaven? And then it ends, cut to black. I remember exactly, except one different 
the guy was loved to shoot pool, and every time he would break, they'd all go into pockets. Oh, yeah. And, and he'd break again, and they'd all go into pockets, and, and then that classic line. Yeah, and yeah. And the boy says, who, thought, who said you were in heaven? Yeah, who said you were in heaven? Right? Getting your, getting your way, doesn't, it, that's not necessarily a good thing. In fact, the whole Christian faith is predicated upon the idea that it is absolutely a bad thing for you to get your way. And that's why we don't want to get our way. We, what do we pray? Thy will be done. We don't want our way. We want his way. That's what makes us so crazy to the world. What? You don't want to win at the casino all the time? No, I don't. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> yeah, who says there's no value in pop culture? <laughs> Although, that's maybe with the caveat that things used to be better than they are now. Yeah. Tell you what, nothing makes me feel older than going, going through the radio and hearing songs come on, and I go, this is garbage. I remember my parents saying things like, what is this noise? This is trash. And I said, oh, you're just old. And I do that now. This is garbage. This is just noise. I remember back in the good old days, in those 90s. Now, that was some good music in the 90s. You know, yeah, this, <laughs> I gave the, the, catechumen, the kids in catechumen got homework yesterday. They, had to go, they have to go listen to Harry Belafonte. Because they said, I was talking about something, God, or the devil is God's ape, and I said, you have to go listen to the song about the monkey. Everything I do, the monkey do too. The monkey steals his girl because he's more smooth than the guy is because he just watches and imitates. Yeah, they don't, you know, they don't do stuff like that anymore. They don't make music like they used to. I'm probably 80 or so on the inside. Uh, okay. Pardon me? <laughs> Nothing. It was a compliment. <laughs> Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own ways and be filled to the full with their own fancies. You want it? Here you go. That's like, you want to, you want to smoke? All right, go back and smoke the whole pack. You want to drink? Here's a six-pack. Drink it all. Get full of your own fancy. That's what the Lord says. That's hell. Smoking a whole pack behind the shed. That's hell. I had a professor at the seminary once, and, and he said, he said, you know what it's like to be hung over? That's hell! You drank everything you wanted, and that's what you get, a hangover. That's what hell's gonna be. In heaven, you get to drink and drink and not worry, and in hell, it's, you don't get to drink, and you just get the after effects. <laughs> okay. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. He says, come on in, come on in. The door's open. There's food on the table. You're hungry. You're weak. Come on in. I'll help you. And you go, no, why would I go in there? And you keep walking. And then he says, okay, they didn't want to come in here. That's why C.S. Lewis says that when Jesus comes again, there will only be two kinds of people. The people who say to Jesus, thy will be done. And then the people to whom Jesus says, thy will be done. Okay, so there is a, there is a time limit on that. Which is why in the end times, liturgically, and in the Advent times, liturgically, so much of the readings are about 
Get ready, be prepared, don't go to sleep, stay awake, don't get drunk, have a good sound mind, come on, be awake, be motivated, let's go. Why? Because you don't know when he's coming, you only know that he is coming. And you don't want to be, you don't want him to come and, and not be seeking him. Okay, uh, one more thing to share with you. By the way, we are right on schedule, this is how I have it planned for today, so don't worry. <laughs> Good. I'm glad that you have faith in me. <laughs> okay, so uh, this is, we just did this in the catechumenate uh, last week. But there's a great quote from Ambrose, sort of an Ambrose day-to-day. -day. Ambrose is the prayer, Ambrose is this quote. Of course, Ambrose, the Bishop of Milan, good friend of St. Monica, mentor to St. Augustine, we wouldn't have St. Augustine without St. Ambrose, and we wouldn't have the church without St. Ambrose and St. Augustine. So he says of this verse, about the seeking and the finding and the asking and the receiving and the knocking, <clears throat> he has this prayer, O Lord, teach us to seek you. How do you know how to seek God? This just goes to my point. Do you get to seek God in the way that you decide? Well, I'm going to encounter God in the mountain. I remember there was this fellow that I knew in high school. Uh, yeah, middle school into high school. And he made this, <clears throat> he was a little charismatic. But he made this big point about how, well, every year I go on this hiking trip. I take a week and I just go into the wilderness and I just have this hiking trip. And I just bring my Bible on the hiking trip and I encounter God. And I just gross. I just, you, know, you can tell when it's going to be good when they just say, well, I just, I just, I just know that God is there. How? Because I feel him. He's just all around me when I'm, when I'm hiking. And then I know I'm getting really close to God because I feel him out in the woods. Okay. And then I just get to know him so much better just by breathing the air and being out there. <sighs> okay. I mean, I'm not, not anti-feeling. Like maybe, uh, who's to say that you don't feel God? I mean, I feel God sometimes, sure, but, but is that the way that God has said, this is how you find me? No. So you don't know how to find God unless God first teaches you, here's how you find me. He gives you the lesson and he says, now go and do it. So teach us to seek you. Okay. How do, how do we do it? How do we want to do it? He will teach us. And then reveal yourself to us when we seek you. Teach us to do this. And then when we do it, show yourself to us. Make good on your promise. You said that if we seek, we will find. So teach us how to seek. And then show us that when we seek, we will find. Make good. Do what you say. The Lord's Prayer is a little rude. You can go through the whole Lord's Prayer. Guess what? There's no please in there. There's not even one in the Greek. So you know it's, that's real. No please. That's a little rude, don't you think? It's a little presumptuous of you to make demands of God, isn't it? Give me bread. Give it to me daily. 
Isn't that presumptuous? Isn't that a little rude? Wouldn't, wouldn't your mother be a little ashamed of you for not saying please and thank you? Yes. She gets it. Jesus held up a little child and said, you must become like a little child. Okay. This is why the kids should always be here. I don't care if they cry or make noise. Let them. It's a good sound. Okay. So... Uh, you can be presumptuous because he told you to be. You're his child. You get to make a demand of him, but also you get to make a demand because he's already told you he's going to do it. That's why if you are a parent of wayward children, or if you have friends who have gone apostate, one of the best things that you can do is to make the demand of God that he actually do for that child, for that person, exactly what he promised he would do when he baptized them. You made them your child, Lord. Do what you said you were going to do. You said that this is what was going to happen. You said they're your child. So do something about them, Lord. Call them back. Hit them. Bring them back. Knock some sense into them, Lord. They're your child. You promised that you would never leave them nor forsake them. So don't let them leave you. Make a demand. For we cannot seek you unless you first teach us. Ooh, we don't know how to do it. We'll never, we'll never seek you. We don't know how to do it right. And we will never find you except you reveal yourself to us. You never get to find God. God reveals himself to you. Oh, God's in the bush. I decided. Marco, where are you, God? Let us seek you in longing. And let us long for you in seeking. Let us find you in love and love you in finding. Oh, Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Isn't that beautiful? Okay. So all of this ties together then. The uh, knowing God, loving God, seeking God, finding God. Luther says God is, no, this is Bernard of Clairvaux, actually. Luther just quotes him. God is more eager to give than we are to ask. He loves to give more than we love to ask. He wants to give and he wants to be more generous than we could even fathom in our receiving. Sometimes we, we get to the point where we say, oh my goodness, Lord, it's too much. Too much. And he says, I don't know the meaning of the word. Because I'm irrational and I give irrationally. I'm just going to dump gifts on you. That's how he loves. <laughs> What's God's love language? <laughs> you know those? <clears throat> well, he's all of them, but he's a giver. Okay. All right, questions about any of this? This is all really important. Yes, ma'am. Sure, yeah. Right. 
And you think about it from, from that Christian perspective, life's not going to be easy. It doesn't matter who you are. Your life's hard. The world's a terrible, terrible, poisonous, gray, rainy place. And they don't like you. They never have. America's forgotten that. American Christians forget that the world doesn't love you because you've enjoyed some privileges here. But guess what? They're not going to last much longer. There's a joke on the internet that men, always, men, modern men, are always thinking about Rome. Now everybody, oh, see? Rome. Yeah, right, okay. Because it's real. Because you look, at the, you look at the Roman Empire, and you look at their trajectory, and guess what? Someone in America read history and thought it would be a good idea to do everything the Romans did. And we're doing it. By the book. So Christians, let's be real and let's be frank. Who knows how much time you have left. And then we'll just pray for another Constantine to come and make everything great. <laughs> okay? So life's hard. The world is a hard place. It's hard to be a Christian and it doesn't get any easier. And guess what? You saying, I'm just going to go off and I'm going to be all by myself and it's going to be me and Jesus. That doesn't make things better. Where is the mutual consolation? You come to church, you come to where Jesus is, you encounter Jesus, you seek him, you find him. He gives you all kinds of strength. You can't live if you don't come to church. This is your home. Why would you want to stay away? And why would you want to be separated from the body? Do you know what happens to the animals that separate themselves from the flock? I've watched enough nature documentaries to be a little bit of an expert. <laughs> the whole strategy of animals like wolves or the big cats of the savanna, the wild dogs of Africa, which are kind of cool, is that they split one off. We'll take a young one, we'll take a weak one, and you want to know the thing about the young ones and the sick ones and the weak ones and the old ones? They're the ones who need the herd the most. They get split off. And then they go after the one that's all by themselves. What do you think it means that Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour? He's not jumping into the fold. He's on the outskirts, hiding in the tall grass, prowling, waiting for just one person to decide, you know what, I don't know if I really want to be a part of that or need to be a part of that. I think I can probably do it on my own. And then you stop coming to church and you know what happens? He gets you. And then it's much harder for you to start coming back to church. So just keep coming. Stay here. Life's hard, but it's a whole lot harder if you're not here. Plus, also, when you come to church, you're not only coming to church for yourself. This might be kind of a revelation for you. But you're also coming to church for your neighbors. And your neighbors are coming to church for you. There is a mutual consolation that happens. You need each other because we're the body. Right, you look for Christ in your brothers and sisters in the faith, yeah. And rightly, you should. It just wasn't what I, I, I was thinking on a very narrow path, but I'm glad that you had a more open mind than I. And more wisdom, okay? So, yes, life's hard, 
but it's harder when you stay away, when you think that you can be the, the lone wolf. There's no such thing as a lone wolf in Christianity. You're sheep. Sheep need a shepherd, and sheep need to be a flock. So be that. Any other questions? Okay, we're going to finish the fifth commandment today. It's, we only have a short little bit left. We're going to get that done. Next week is the Christmas pageant during the Bible class time. Don't stay away because we're not having Bible class. Come to see the kids. They're, they've been working really hard. And you get to see, you know, if you don't want to see the kids, fine. But you do get to see Jason be the devil who gets killed. <laughs> and won't that be fun? Everybody wants to see the devil die. Okay? <laughs> he volunteered for that, by the way. It was not assigned. Okay. We're talking, we, we had been talking about how the fifth commandment safeguards your human relationships. Remember, the, one of the quotes from the large catechism, God jumps in, he uses the fifth commandment, sort of like the referee at a boxing match. Hey, this is getting a little out of hand, you two. Get, get away from each other. Get, you, get back to your corners. Come on, knock it off. Go take a cold shower. Ted, take a drink of water. Count to ten, whatever you need to do, Okay. Uh, that's sort of what the fifth commandment does. It, it, it doesn't just prohibit these things, but it works to try and curb them so that even when you start to have a bad thought, the Lord is saying, that's not good, that's not good, that's not good. I had somebody come to me this week. We had a little bit of a chat, and they said, I was listening uh, in Bible class, and you said the thing about <laughs> gossip being murder. He said, I really had to take a step back. I, that really made me think. Yeah, yeah, well, it should because... Think about how often you gossip. And I said this to that individual. You want to know who's the worst? Pastors. Pastors are often just the worst. You get a group of pastors together, and you know what? They just complain. It's like musicians. It's why I didn't want to be a musician, because you think that musicians just love to play music. Oh, I can't wait to play Tchaikovsky's Fifth Symphony. That was not directed at you. <laughs> okay. I just love to, to play this. I love to play Beethoven. I love to play Mahler. And you know, I don't know what they do. They just complain. They complain about how much money they're making. They complain about the temperature of the rehearsal hall. I knew a guy would set a thermometer on the stand and if it went one degree above the union contract, he'd pack up and leave. Come on. Complain about the pizza. I can't believe we have to play Tchaikovsky 5 again. Can't believe we have to play Mahler 3 again. Can't we do... Can't believe this conductor. Can you believe this conductor? I can't believe this conductor. What happened to Sir Simon Rattle? Okay. So, the thoughts, the disposition of the heart the sword, the unquenchable fire that is the tongue, none of that is allowed. Um, these two last quotes here, God wants to make, this is on the second page, God wants to make us used, used, excuse me, God wants to make us used to keeping this commandment ever in view, always to contemplate ourselves in it as in a mirror. So forget WWJD, and think instead about what does the fifth commandment say? I'm not going to think about what the acronym should be. Okay. Think about the fifth commandment. That should ever be in view. To regard the will of God, to turn over to him the wrong that we suffer with hearty confidence. Ooh, the wrong that we suffer. Just give it to Jesus. 
You, you don't like what people say about you? Well, just give it to Jesus. Pastor Kinney wrote a really great article that was published online in the Lutheran Witness. If you haven't read it, you should go and find it and read it. Maybe I'll link it on the Facebook page so you, everybody can get there. And you want to know what? It blew the internet up. The whole article was just about how important it is to have good Christian fathers. And it blew up. You wouldn't think that it would be offensive. But guess what it was? In the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And you want to know what? Some of the comments were not very nice. <coughs> So instead of taking all that stuff personally, you just let it roll off and you just give it to the Lord. God will deal with it. I don't have to. And then probably you should just get off social media because it's going to be better for everybody. Okay, so offer to him the wrong that we suffer with hearty confidence and by calling on his name. In this way, we shall let our enemies rage and be angry. Yeah, 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 do what they can. We learn to calm our wrath and to have a patient, gentle heart, especially toward those who give us cause to be angry. So even in an, in an instance where you can say, I, but I'm justified in my anger, the Lord says, you're not. You think that you're justified in your anger, and I am telling you that you're not. So the fifth commandment teaches you to curb that. Put it aside. Take it to the Lord. Pray to the Lord. When, you're, when you start to get angry, have some, pray the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Let it roll off uh, so that you are, you are not staying angry with those people. Yes, sir. Yeah, very good. Look at that. Do not anger, or uh, do not be angry. Do not fret. Okay? Who is his vengeance? The Lord's. You don't get to be a vigilante. God would ever remind us, too bad for Batman, right? God would ever remind us to reflect upon the first commandment. He is our God which means he will help, assist, and protect us in order that he may quench the desire of revenge in us. Hey, wait a minute. The fifth commandment is tied to the first commandment? What? Well, yeah. No, duh. Okay? So love the Lord. Don't love yourself. And when you love the Lord, you let him take care of all that stuff. God will do the worrying for you. You don't worry. He'll worry for you. Now, this is the last point. God and then government, in that order... Retain the authority to kill. God and then government. Okay? God and government are not included in this commandment, says the large catechism, nor is the power to kill taken away, which God and government have. To punish evildoers, God has delegated his authority to the government, not parents. Whoops! What is forbidden in this commandment is forbidden to the individual in his relationship with anyone else, but not to the government. You forfeit your life when you take another's life. God says that. He who spills man's blood by man, may his blood be spilled. Okay? So the fifth commandment does not forbid the, uh, the act of capital punishment. In fact, it actually encourages it because in the fifth commandment you get to see the value of life on a completely new scale. So God and government retain that to be used for the sake of good order, not, not 
the way that many governments are pushing now to uh, with like assisted suicide. That's not the authority to kill. That would be murder. But to give the death penalty to the guy that killed 30 children and buried them under his front porch, well, okay. He has forfeit his life in the taking of another. All right, any questions about any of this? Okay. Very good. Was that my daughter? Yes. There is, no, there is no potluck next week, okay? No potluck next week because there is the soup supper on Christmas Eve. We'll see you at the altar.